0: here. Welcome to the Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg.
1: This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll have Rob Danuzo from RoboForm, who will talk about that theft of 1.2 billion usernames and passwords by a Russian crime ring. We'll hear also from Stephen Baker of the NPD Group and tech columnist Dan Berg, Althus and more on the Tech Night Owl Live. Ah! We have Rob Danuso, and he's with Cyber Systems. He is a vice president of marketing, but he's also obviously connected with a company that deals with security and obviously a key case here: password management. And the reason we're talking about password management is because of the story that came over the wires this week, that a Russian crime ring has amassed what they call the largest known collection of stolen internet credentials. So, Rob, we're talking about here 1.2 billion usernames and passwords covering 500 million email addresses, 420,000 websites. The question is how many people were not affected because I think that would be a smaller number.
2: Well, thanks for having me on, Gene. thing I want to point out is that 1.2 billion seems to be a conservative estimate. Um, I, I've read any, uh, anywhere from that number all the way up to 2 billion total identities that have been stolen, identities meaning login, uh, usernames or passwords, and in some cases email addresses. It, it's really tough to tell how many individual people are affected, whether it's 1.2 billion people or half of that each with two logins that are affected. Uh, this was actually brought about by a company in Wisconsin that's a security audit. And they found that several companies' websites, uh, both small and large, from Fortune 500 companies all the way down to mom-and-pop businesses, uh, were affected. over there. not released which companies were affected yet. Uh, I believe that they're privately contacting those companies and having them clean up all of their security issues before they go public with the names to uh, prevent further hacks into their uh, databases
1: of users. But how do you factor that into so many? Because it sounds to me like, you know what? half or 75% of all the internet users on the planet are being impacted?
2: (laughs) It it may very well be. And, you know, I know in the U.S., the average person has between 20 and 30 different logins uh, that they use on the web, whether it be for bank accounts, all the way to something as simple uh, as an online blog or a shopping network or something like that So. It could really vary about how many unique people were affected, but it's safe to say that it's a very large number with over 1 billion, for sure, individual uh, cases of logins or passwords being affected by
1: this. Well, the question I have here is, how do they do it? How do they manage to accomplish that kind of feat? Is this part of the Heartbleed bug that we had recently with secured connections?
2: So it seems like this is a completely separate issue. The security firm that discovered this uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, has not actually released what the flaw was that these hackers exposed. However, it's safe to say that it was on a very wide scale. Once we do hear that, once we do hear what the actual flaw was uh, that these hackers reached and we can get a better idea of what companies may have been affected by it. However, it it must have been a a very common flaw if they were to access so many individual records on so many different websites.
1: And we're assuming this information is correct. It's not some kind of hype on their part.
2: It would seem so. I haven't read any reports that this could be a hoax or that this was overblown. And uh, as I mentioned before, I think they may be underestimating the the, uh, total number of exposed uh, logins and passwords.
1: Okay. Well, this means to me Basically, is that most any site to which you connect out there is probably not secure?
2: That's tough to say at this point. You'd have to look at it on a case by case basis after uh, these companies have had time to fix their uh, security loopholes that were exposed. But it it does seem like a large percentage of companies may have been affected by this. But again, we can only speculate at this point which companies
1: they are. The companies that we deal with eventually realize this and notify their customers, or what? Of course, we had the Target break in last year where sure. tens of millions of credit card records and associated information were hacked. In this case, here, will all these companies, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of websites here, will the people who run these websites eventually reveal or know what happened? I have several websites and I have different sure. web servers. So will the people I deal with at the data center send me a note someday and say, hey, this is what happened?
2: Ideally, yes. Of course, that's not an absolute by any means. I I think the bigger the company, the more likely it is that you will get a notice from them. Uh, So if you're dealing with one of the large banking or credit card companies, or if you're dealing with a large retail outlet online, they're almost certainly going to tell their users that there was a breach. However, if you're talking about a smaller local website that you might log into, uh, they may not have the resources or the uh, know-how to actually know that they were affected by this if it was not brought to their attention by a third party like the consultant that initially discovered this breach.
1: I would think that if they're being hosted by one of those large responsible hosting companies, they might be notified that way. But let's look at it this way. Until we know the raw details of what they have to do to fix the damage, and certainly I want to know from my own sites, what do we do to protect ourselves?
2: Sure. Well, the first thing we always tell all of our consumers is to check your bank and credit card statements very often. Most people can see them online now. So if you do, just monitor it every few days and make sure there haven't been any fraudulent purchases or uh, attempts to access your account that you did not authorize. Uh, If you're still one of the uh, people that uses paper statements, uh, that's fine, uh, but be sure to check those every month uh, when you do get them. But we recommend checking about once a week uh, at least uh, with your bank account and your credit card statement just to be sure that uh, there weren't any unauthorized purchases in that time.
1: Now, I gather, of course, if there's an unauthorized purchase, generally the bank has a procedure where they'll take care of it for you.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, If you notify your bank uh, or credit card company Of unauthorized purchase, they'll typically jump right into it for you. Uh, They'll take it right off of your statement and they'll research into it uh, a little bit. And this can really happen to anyone. This actually happened to me a few months back uh, where somehow someone got my credit card number and went in and purchased a a dinner uh, in a local restaurant. So I I found out almost immediately, about two days later, contacted my credit card company and it was removed from my account within a few business days. So typically they are very responsive to these types of things, especially if it was a result of their own misdoing. Uh, And in this case, if it was a result of a data breach uh, in their system or on the website, we'll certainly work with you on that. But that's why I think important to actually monitor these outlets, because if, if you do not tell them that this was a fraudulent purchase, they really don't have any way to know that.
1: Do banks have limits in terms of the time in which you have to report a fraudulent purchase before they say, sorry, folks, it's too late?
2: I believe it's 90 days for most. Uh, It it may vary uh, based upon which bank or credit card you use, but uh, in most cases, I believe it's 90 days.
1: So in theory, then, if this happens, you have more than enough time to stop it.
2: You do, yes. And then, obviously, once you uh, tell your bank that there has been an an unauthorized purchase on your card, uh, they'll uh, delete your card and send you a new one. So... Uh, it is important to do it as quickly as possible, uh, if for nothing else and to save yourself time. But there's obviously much more uh, important things and much larger um, things that could happen to you if you aren't monitoring your uh, your online presence. Uh, and we another thing we tell people is to always excuse me monitor their uh, their credit reports, uh, which is actually free to do three times per year, it's mandated by the U.S. government that uh, the the major uh, credit reporting companies have to provide. There's three of them. They each have to provide you with uh, one-year credit report per year for free of charge. Uh, so we tell people to try to space that out between three and four months uh, each time. Uh, but do check that quite often uh, because if hackers, like in this case, were able to get your social security number, they may not go for your credit card or your bank account. They may actually go for stealing your identity, uh, in which case they could take out a loan in your name or uh, apply for credit some other way in your name. So you definitely want to be sure that... Uh, you're checking that report as well. Uh, And like I said, that is free to do for uh, three times per year.
1: Now, the other thing, of course, is that a lot of these services are paid for. They have credit monitoring services, the three major credit reporting agencies, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And Mm -hmm. it's a separate monthly fee. If you have a lot of credit going on, they'll send you alerts. Every day, if someone is getting an inquiry, if there's a new account, they'll send you alerts. We'll have a lot more to talk about here with Rob Denuso, And we're talking about this breach of usernames and passwords. More to come on the Tech Night Out Live. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
3: More at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R O C K O I D S.com.
4: Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
6: Hi, Dr. Hurley here to give you information you may not want to hear. Approximately 70,000 chemicals are currently used and released into the environment in the United States each year, and 30 million kilograms of these toxic chemicals are known to cause cancer. And now the good news. Longevity's five-day cleansing program can drastically reduce the toxins in your body. For more information about the five-day cleanse, visit drhurley.net or call 855-315-8326. That's 855-315-8326. Hi, Dr. Lorraine Hurley here. Would you wait till you're dying of thirst before digging a well? Well, why wait until you're sick before getting the nutrients you need? Longevity's Healthy Start Pack has all the essential nutrients your body needs. The 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, and 2 fatty acids just aren't available in most people's diets. Your body needs these nutrients, and the Healthy Pack 2.0 has them all covered. Get your Healthy Body Pack by calling 855-315-8326. That's 855-315-8326. Or visit drhurley.net today.
1: On the Tech Night Out Live, Rob DiNuzzo is going to tell us what to do to protect yourself when all these people have gotten a hold of names and password combinations. Now, is it strictly email access or site access? I'm still not sure by reading about it. Is it a combination of both?
2: It appears that it's site access. So in many cases, uh, websites uh, prompt you to create a username. But in many of those cases, uh, the username is the same as your uh, email address. So because uh, this breach was partly done for logins and passwords, email addresses were also taken as part of this breach. So uh, we tell people to always monitor your email account and see if there's an an unusual amount of spam coming in because that could be a sign that your email address was breached. So that's one facet of what this could bring uh, and what people could see. Um, But the other one could be that there could be actual unauthorized access to your accounts. And one of the unauthorized accesses that I've seen uh, that may be very common with this particular data breach is uh, social media hacks. So, uh, from the reports I've read about this particular breach, there haven't really been many fraudulent purchases or uh, attempts at credit. Uh, However, it seems like they have gone in and attempted to post things on your social media accounts or or use your uh, email address as a forwarder for uh, spam messages from them uh, out to the general populations. So uh, that that's one thing to definitely monitor are your social media accounts and uh, your email account if you do see uh, any more spam than you're used to.
1: Okay, but even if it hasn't happened to you yet, one would think we should start taking some precautions anyway so that it doesn't happen. So what do we do?
2: Absolutely. So our product, one of our products, the software product global form is actually a password manager. And what we tell people is, You should be using a unique, secure password for each website that you log into. So if you're on, let's say, Yahoo, Gmail, and Hotmail, let's say you have three separate uh, uh, email addresses, you want to use a a different, unique password for each one of those. So let's say you have 30 logins online and you use the same password for each of those logins. Uh, Even if that password is very secure in and of itself, uh replicating it between multiple websites can be very dangerous because if a hacker were to gain access to one of your logins uh, to one website, they could go out and test that on other websites. So let's say your Facebook account was hacked uh, and you use the same password for your bank account. They could go in and test out to see, do you use Bank of America, do you use Chase? Uh, they could test that out and very well easily get into your account through that method so we definitely recommend that everyone uses a unique password for every website they can log into and to make sure that those uh, passwords individually are are very strong so using upper and lower case letters numbers special characters and not to use words that are in the dictionary because those are much easier for hackers to
1: gain access to them all right let's look at the product roboform now the way I take it here is you're putting everything under one master password, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, does this app help you select the passwords for each service?
2: It sure does. So it's very easy to set up, so you would uh, install it into your browser. Uh, we work on PC, Macs, any of the big smartphones and tablets. So what you would do is you would install the RoboForm software, uh, and then you would go through uh, browsing the web as you normally would, and let's say you log in to your email address and you log into your uh, bank account, a so role form will say, "Would you like us to save this password for you?"
8: And it will save it in
2: a secure manner. and and then you'll only need to remember your one master password. Uh, and then another big feature that you were just alluding to was the password generate feature, which actually you hit a generate button and it will generate a unique, strong password for you. Uh, of letters, numbers, and special characters that's complete gibberish that would no one would ever be able to get. Uh, and you can determine its length anywhere from 8 to 22 characters. So that's very important to have those very secure and unique passwords that I was speaking about. And our software definitely helps uh, users to make sure that they have not only unique but secure passwords for each one of their logins.
1: And obviously the other way, of course, I'm only kidding, is to simply copy any politician's speech. And parse about eight (laughs) characters it. Yeah, parse about eight characters it. Yeah, well you're near the scene of the action, so I figured you'd appreciate that. But seriously (laughs) speaking, here, the key here is that you can come up with maybe one password that's total gibberish, but try to remember that or 20 other passwords that are all totally different. The other question is here, how often should you vary the password? So you have the password and you have it stored in your password manager. Should you change it every so often, just in case?
2: I would, uh, especially after there's been uh, a news like a hack uh, that we're talking about here. Uh, we recommend proactively changing a password every six months or so, uh, unless there uh, a circumstance like the one here where uh, we would recommend that you change your password, at least for your most sensitive websites like bank accounts and credit cards, as news of a hack like this comes out. So we would recommend at this point that people would change their passwords for at least the most sensitive information websites.
1: Okay, if I'm interested in getting a hold of this app, I see you have versions for iOS, Mac, Windows, also Android?
2: Yes, that's correct, and and Windows Phone as
1: well. Oh, Windows Phone. Of course, there are only three people who use Windows Phone. Sure,
2: well, we cater to all three of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. But seriously speaking here, if I need to get a copy of this, where do I find it?
2: Sure. Uh, you can go right to roboform.com. You can download it right from the home page. And uh, we are actually uh, we actually let people use our software for free, uh, up to 10 logins. So uh, you can give it a try and see uh, for yourself how easy it makes surfing the web and keeping yourself secure online. Because really remembering one password is so easy to do, but most people uh, kind of apply that to all of their websites. So they'll log into all of their websites with that same password, and that's just not secure. So we kind of make have that simplicity within our software, um, but with several unique passwords within, so you don't have to worry about remembering, uh, you know, 10-character gibberish passwords for 30 or 40 different logins. So it just makes your life a lot easier. You can also synchronize it between your phones and your uh, desktop, PC, or Mac uh, to make things even easier, uh, especially for someone uh, that has a, a work computer, a home computer, or a smartphone, a tablet. You can keep them all in sync. Uh, with mobile forms everywhere uh, option, or you can store your passwords only on your home computer or only on your local device uh, using our desktop option.
1: So, if you set, for example, a password on your Mac, you've got a Windows mm-hmm. PC in the office, and occasionally you're using it to access these same sites. It's going to transfer that information to log in.
2: Yes, if you choose the everywhere option, uh, the the two options. Some people don't like to have their passwords synchronized with the cloud, uh, even though they are encrypted uh, by uh, very good security uh, that we have on our back end. Uh, but if you were to choose the Everywhere option, you can synchronize between an unlimited number of devices uh, and different PCs and Macs as well. So it makes things a lot easier. And let's say you uh, create a new account at work today and you want to be able to access that login uh, from, from home, uh, you just hit the Synchronize button. And uh, when you get home, it would be waiting for you there.
1: So, this way you can keep everything in sync. And if you go again to Roboform, roboform.com, roboform.com, that's singular, R O B O form.com. And you can download this demo copy if you like it. You buy it, and it's not expensive, by the way. So, check it out. Rob Denuzzo, thank you so much for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live.
2: Thanks for having me, Gene. <laughs>
9: We are America's largest independently-owned communications network, GCN.
1: So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business and if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run, and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTOWL for a special discount.
3: First game Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare nightmare. nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the earth this is gripping science fiction of the classic kind attack of the rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com
5: how's your ph today are you acidic how alkaline is your blood and body what is the ph of the water you drink We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy, because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only twenty nine ninety five dollars at alcavision.com, spelled A-L-K-A Vision.com or call 800-518-7615 518 7615 Alkalize your body Supercharge your health at Alcavision.com.
8: If you need to say happy birthday, happy anniversary thank you, or simply I'm thinking of you ProFlowers.com is the key. ProFlowers has stunning bouquets, like the best-selling 100 Blooms for $19.99. Plus, ProFlowers will include a glass vase for free. Sending someone a wonderful surprise of beautiful flowers sent fresh from the field is easy. Choose the bouquet you like, pick the delivery date, and each order is 100% guaranteed. Plus, all bouquets from ProFlowers are guaranteed to last at least seven full days beautiful fragrant flowers picked fresh and sent to your loved one for lasting enjoyment to get this incredible savings and send someone 100 gorgeous blooms with a free vase for 19 dollars go to proflowers.com click the blue microphone in the top right corner and enter code plow that's proflowers.com click the mic and enter code plow
10: Live with Gene Steinberg,
11: it's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
1: We have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group, and we're going to have a wide range of discussions but I will not ask you, Stephen, about your restaurant surveys. Or should I?
12: (laughs) No, I think you'll have to ask our uh, restaurant experts about that. And we know about eating in restaurants, so.
1: Right. It says consumers are alone over half of eating occasions as a result of changing lifestyles and more single-person households. That's sad, though, isn't it?
12: It does certainly sound that way, doesn't it?
1: So I'll ask you because the thing is posted there. When you eat, of course, at the office, I assume you go out or do you bring your lunch?
12: Uh, I usually go out and then bring it into the office and eat in front of my computer as I'm working or reading the news.
1: Okay, so lunchtime you eat alone. What about the evening?
12: Uh, I almost always eat with my wife.
1: Who does the cooking?
12: My wife does.
1: Well, that says a lot. Okay, I won't ask you then to (laughs) show me your favorite omelet, but I don't eat omelets, so it goes with that. So... Considering all the stuff that's happening in the smartphone business, we're seeing that Samsung has had flat sales and profits, and Apple seems to be doing well. Is this in line with what you guys have been seeing in the channel?
12: Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I don't think anybody would mistake the S5 for a monster hit. It was very evolutionary, even in some ways kind of a return to a more you know, stable kind of product from Samsung and, you know, the market is maturing and there are so many challenges and shifts going on, especially in the U S that it's hard to see a kind of intermediary product like the S five really, you know, pulling the doors off the market. So big challenge for Samsung clearly in terms of, you know, how do they maintain position with Apple.
1: Okay, so we're seeing here that Samsung says it being hit at the high end, I guess, by Apple, at the low end by all these no-name Asian manufacturers.
12: Yeah, we see a little bit of that in the U.S., not as much. Um, you know, we don't follow stuff outside the U.S., but clearly in the U.S., the, the big growth opportunity in smartphones has been around prepaid. Uh, so, you know, walking into Walmart and buying a phone in a plan on Net10 or Walmart Family Mobile or one of those services, uh, Cricket and Metro PCS. That's where all the growth is right now. And it tends to be among uh, lower income customers as well who aren't always as interested in having a great phone as they are having a phone that does a whole bunch of things at a great price. Samsung, you know, has some great products in that market, Samsung rugby and some others that are built specifically for that for that segment. But, you know, it's a tough market out there for for those kind of products, even here in the US, even as that segment grows a lot faster than your traditional hero devices that we all think about.
1: Now, do you think companies like T-Mobile have made the postpaid market run a little smoother, because they seem to be adding a lot of customers.
12: Yeah, I don't know if I'd use the word smoother, though. I think it's a much bumpier ride right now as we try to figure out what consumers really want. You know, I think the shift away from uh, kind of a set price for your phone in this installment plan, plus upgrade options, plus family share, um, all those things have really put an awful lot of... um, disruption into the market really made both the carriers and the carriers retail partners and the OEMs start to rethink I think what they need to do in, at least in the US in terms of delivering the right product i think um tim cook said on the the conference call that they actually think that these kind of programs are going to help them because they think that reducing the cost of uh, the upfront cost that people pay for a phone is going to help them uh, as those those plans shift from, you know, $199 or $299 or $399 upfront to $30 or so a month, um, and we think that's probably true that um, in the U.S. at least this will help grow and help maintain sales in the higher uh, price point to kind of hero devices because we've really reduced the apparent cost to the customer of getting into that kind of a device.
1: The thing I see is that all these programs and all the changing prices don't just confuse the people who want to buy the product or service. It confuses the companies. And I'll give you one example. I have an AT&T account. We've had AT&T for seven years. I recently, for the second time in a year, went to a lower price plan because they had more affordable plans, except that suddenly my bill went up after a month, and the reason is that they had somehow mixed the old plan with the new plan, and it was corned beef hash. So I just called them up and said, you know what? I don't even want to discuss it. Why don't you zero out the plan, let me pick a new plan from scratch, and that's what it's going to be. And they did it. You know, the woman in support was certainly gracious enough to do that because it was easier for them. There's no way to say, well, this particular aspect is part of this plan, this tax is part of this plan, and we have to credit you back because of the changes. And nobody knows what they're doing. So
12: I, sometimes- I, I agree with you. I think it's very challenging and I'll give you, you know, one positive issue on that and one negative. I think we can see how challenging building these kind of plans and building the back ends to be able to manage them are, is that it's only in the last, you know, sixty days that they've been able to roll out installment plans and these upgrade plans to their retail partners because the back ends were so complicated that, you know, it took an awful lot of integration work to be able to get you to go into a Best Buy or a Walmart or a Radio Shack and buy one of these plans because because of the integration problems. And while you had problems with it, I will tell you, I went last month and got a new phone and I looked at my family's plan and we switched from a whole bunch of hodgepodge gigabyte plans to one family plan. And, you know, at least right now, the price went down about $30. So, you know, I think these plans are good for the consumer. Uh, I think it's good for the industry to kind of reduce the cost of, the perceived cost of getting into a a hero device like an iPhone or a GS5 or a Note or an HTC One, I think that's great for the industry. Um, And I think it's good, this this level of competition is good for the consumer because it does really help keep those prices lower and keep the customers coming back into the stores as part of these upgrade plans.
1: Is it a good thing that it definitely appears that Sprint is not going to want to buy T-Mobile.
12: Well, you know, that's kind of a political thought. Um, You know, I'm the kind of guy who believes in a lot more competition. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a great thing for the market. I think it's a great thing for the consumer. Um, I'm not so interested in what Wall Street thinks.
1: It doesn't matter. And I think also we like having John Legare at T-Mobile. Be flamboyant up front and just shake everybody up.
12: Hey, you know, it's always fun to have somebody who's willing to say what they think. Absolutely.
1: That's how it works. But are there any trends you see in the smartphone business in the coming years, especially as the market gets more and more saturated?
12: Uh, you know, I think in the U.S., the biggest trend in the next year or so is going to be uh, bigger and bigger phones. Uh, You know, I think the rumor mill, uh, while we probably don't have all of those pieces right, you know, clearly indicates that Apple is going to come out with bigger phones. Uh, Samsung's going to come out with a new note. Um, Consumers recognize the value of more and more screen real estate on a better and better screen. Um, I think there's no question about that, and as we provide that to them, that that adds so many opportunities to um, the accessory sellers, to the apps, to content, how people use it, um, can really drive a whole other round of growth, both around the hardware, the app infrastructure, and the usage models, and really change the market again. Well, certainly they'll
1: have to design jeans with larger pockets. We have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
9: A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
10: What good is a Big Berkey water filter?
14: We get that question a lot here at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com and in a word, the answer is protection protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call one 99 berkey That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water.
15: Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Or call toll-free, 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Life's getting better. Do you know
11: what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl. Live with Gene Steinberg.
1: Stephen Baker of the NPD Group is here. Now, I was half serious when I mentioned the larger pockets, but you have to consider here, I have an iPhone 5S with a 4-inch screen. The rumor mills talk of two versions, and we can't confirm it. You know, we can talk through our hats here. A 4.7-inch version, a 5.5-inch version. Now, having had experience with a 5-inch Samsung Galaxy S4, I know it's pretty difficult to get into your pocket. So doesn't that present some kind of obstacle too?
12: I've been using a uh, Lumia 1520, which is a six-inch Windows phone, and I have to say I haven't had any trouble getting it into shirt pockets, pant pockets, suit coat pockets, uh, you know, any place I need to get it into. It's pretty much fit, Um, and I love having a bigger screen. Um, I love my iPhone, too. I love the way it works, love the ease of use there, but... You know, I'm getting a little older, and I really do like having a bigger screen, uh, especially if you do a lot of text on the phone. And the other thing that I think is interesting is, you know, the objection to larger phones always tends to be around, you know, if you hold it up to your head and talk, you look kind of ridiculous. Uh, And I think the counter to that is... You know, how many people use their phones for talking anymore? And by the way, you know, when you get to a bigger phone in that 5.5 or 6-inch model, you know, you're talking about a product that can be the equivalent of a small tablet. And, you know, maybe... What we'll see is people having multiple phones, where they have a smaller phone, um, maybe that they carry around that's more conducive to talk and you know one-handed operation, and they have a bigger phone that they use for text and internet and you know video content that they also carry around that gives them that extra screen real estate without being you know as large as a seven or an eight-inch tablet is.
1: Well, the thing we see in Asia, especially where people can only afford one device. So you get the phablet, the product over five inches, and you get the tablet functions and the smartphone functions in a single device that is their one and only computer.
12: Yeah, I think it works real well for most people. Like I said, I've seen it work really well for me. I'm in a developed country, but, you know, I can definitely see the value proposition certainly in that um, you can, it really is much more of a dual use uh, product.
1: Well, remember also the traditional telephone handset. How big was that on an old fashioned AT&T phone? I've got a two line <laughs> AT&T phone here and I pick up yeah, the I'm handset, sure. it's, you know, coming over, it's from my ears to my mouth and you can't do that with even the five inch phones.
12: Right, right. I'm sure it's bigger than that, although you really weren't, you know, trying to put that in your pocket and carrying it around with you. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> sometimes when I go outside, I'll carry the portafone with me. I'll stick it in my pocket. <laughs> right. Of course, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. But <laughs> sometimes I have to do it because we have enough well, range with the phone so I can go out to the mailbox and pick up the mail. And if I'm waiting for a phone call... I don't just drag the iPhone with me. I just take the port of phone I know that's crazy.
12: Well, you know, the uh, the counter to that argument would be you really need to get rid of your landline, Gene, and just go uh, all cell all the time.
1: Well, you know, when the sound quality improves. Right now, I have not a landline, but an internet phone, two-line internet service with a company called Voipo, and that takes care of my standard normal phone use. When I travel, I use the iPhone. But I also use it as a second computing device. I don't use an iPad or a tablet. My wife does.
12: There's clearly a lot of different models out there. And I think, you know, when you look at all the things that have happened over the last four or five years, um, and that are still happening, I think the one kind of great thing about it is that more and more, the devices are becoming uh, personal. And you have so many choices in screen size and screen quality with keyboards, without keyboards, you know, two-in-one computers, great big laptops, big all-in-ones, you know, mid sized tablets. Um, you know, if you have a personal preference for how you want to use a computing device, six or seven years ago, you probably couldn't find that device that would specifically suit your purpose. Today, it's hard to imagine anybody could kind of go into a Best Buy or go online to Amazon and not be able to find a specific device that really does answer their specific needs around screen and connectivity and operating system and processor and, you know, input.
1: I wonder, though, does that confuse the customer if you've got so many choices there? And sometimes the differences are so minor that you really can't tell unless you have a stopwatch to do benchmarks or you know what a specific feature is all about. Doesn't that sometimes work against finding the product you want?
12: I would 100% agree with you if I thought that there was only minor differences. But I think there's a clear difference between, you know, a 7-inch Android Tablet, a 9.7-inch iPad, an 11.6-inch MacBook Air, a 15-inch Windows notebook, um, you know, or a 4.7-inch iPhone 6. So I think those are all have very clear differences and very different use cases, and it's much easy. It's very easy for the customer to look at that product and say, "This one I would use like this." And that makes a lot of sense for me. But looking at this one, you know, I just can't see the scenarios where I would want, you know, a notebook with a great big screen, for example.
1: Well, I reject the fact that Apple gave up on the 17-inch MacBook Pro because they're down to 15 inches now. And I keep my 17-inch religiously up to date as a result. I got it back in 2010. So I object to that seriously.
12: Now, in well, I'm terms- sure you've got big muscles from carrying it around, though.
1: Oh, I still work out at my age. I'm 417 years old and I still do the push-ups every day and the sit-ups and a little bit of weight training, but we don't want to go into my exercise routine. Anyway, Apple and Samsung, the big players in the industry, it looks like uh, maybe we're just pushing this a bit too far. They might be making the way towards detente or peace because they've given up the lawsuits outside of the U.S. They're going to pursue the ones that are in the U.S., but... Are we seeing here the handwriting on the wall get over this stuff and get on with their lives?
12: Uh, you know, I, I hope so. Ultimately, I think it's better for everybody if um, we just get to a point where, you know, we're all where the industry is working to compete and compete on a fair playing field and, you know, much more focused on creating great products than worrying about. Uh, what someone else is doing, whether who's copying who or, you know, how the look and feel of one product feels versus another. So I'd agree with you. I think it's time. And, 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 you know, based on some of the products we think we've seen coming, I think, uh, clearly we're, we're in a position now where I think everybody's back to thinking about, you know, how can I differentiate myself with a great product? Um, versus how can I, you know, just be cheap or just kind of copy what other people are doing. I think we're really kind of moving back towards, uh, you know, renaissance with a focus on, you know, unique differentiate differentiation.
1: Of course, as a practical matter, a company has to defend its intellectual property. Otherwise, they lose the ability to defend it. But we can hope things are dying down and saner heads will prevail. Let's just move into a few other topics here. The TV space. Okay. So 3D is being dropped by Vizio and some other companies. Goodbye, 3D. What went wrong with 3D? And we've got about a minute left with the segment, so we'll take it to the next segment, too. So let's start. What did they do wrong with 3D? Was it just the wrong kind of feature for the home?
12: So it's a pretty easy answer, right? What customers want in their TV is a big screen with a great picture. And 3D is a gimmick that didn't focus on those two uh, features. Simple as that.
1: Well, also, it's a matter of the problem of Hollywood and the electronics makers dropping on a trend and trying to take it to the nth degree. So Avatar, a 3D movie, is hugely successful. So therefore... Movie producers want to make everything in 3D, whether it makes sense or not. And then, of course, they think, the TV makers, I guess, let's do 3D in the home so people can bring that experience to their home. Let's be able to put on the glasses so we can watch 3D. And of course, that fell like a lead balloon, even when the prices came down in 3D. And I got a TV set for review from Vizio with 3D in it. And it was fine. We watched a 3D movie exactly once, and that was it. Stephen Baker of the NPD Group is here. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
9: Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN.
16: This is Dan Pillett. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years.
0: Pharmacist
10: Ben Fuchs believes virtually all disease states can be backtracked to digestive problems. Deficiencies in stomach
13: acid can affect all downstream systems. Taking digestive enzymes can be amazingly helpful for dealing with deficiencies in stomach acid. Enzymes require low pH for activation. You can also use aloe vera juice, by the way. Sugars in aloe vera have a coating effect on the digestive system. Longevity has a cool product called Noni Plus, which is made from aloe in the noni fruit. It's tasty. It can also function to support digestive acidification, acidification
10: of the stomach, and activation of digestive enzymes. Take Pharmacist Ben's advice and support your digestive system by ordering Noni Plus from Longevity. Call 866-735-2470. That's 866-735-2470 or on the web at brightsideben.com. That's brightsideben.com. Order today.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: On the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. So I was talking about the failure of 3D. Is it also the fact that maybe because of the saturated market, the TV makers were a little too desperate to add features?
12: Well, I think in any saturated market, manufacturers are always going to be searching for the next great feature to try to get people to upgrade and and replace what they have. Um, It's doubly difficult in a TV market where you know tradition is pretty uh, widely held among consumers and that you know you're going to keep a TV for six or seven or eight years Um, you know you've got all that tube legacy to get through. And people expect that product's going to last for a long time. So as a manufacturer, you really do want to find some kind of unique discussion point that gets people off the couch from in front of their old boring televisions and into the stores to check out the new latest and greatest cool television. But again, that feature, in my mind, has to be focused around the two things that least in the u.s consumers want they want the biggest screen that'll fit in the room that they can afford and they want an absolutely kick-ass picture when they get those two things um all that other stuff that's out there sometimes it's useful sometimes it's not um And I think the big problem with 3D is in a lot of cases, uh, 3D not only didn't help the picture, it it made the picture worse.
1: It made Uh, it dimmer and also fewer pixels, fewer
12: lines of resolution. it it, It wasn't an improvement, and that was something that consumers said, yeah, that's great, but it feels like a gimmick. It looks like a gimmick. I'm not sure I like 3D movies in the theater, I'm not sure I want to do it at home. They hated the glasses. You know, maybe there wasn't enough research done ahead of time around those kind of things. I think the TV brands maybe thought that, you know, glasses-free 3D might show up a little faster. You know, a whole bunch of things all, it was very difficult to display in stores as well. And, you know, I think all those things conspired around it to say, you know, this really isn't The right kind of um, additive feature that will get people to come into the stores to buy. And, you know, that leads obviously into Ultra HD 4K discussion. And when you think about that, what does that talk about? It is really, really focused on delivering and talking to me as a consumer about a great picture. Even if I can't tell how much better the picture is. Uh, The fact that I know that it's as good a screen and as good a picture as I can get is a real incentive for me to want that kind of a product. So I think, you know, 4K is gonna be a winner. It's gonna be a winner this holiday. And as the prices come down a little more, it's gonna be a winner in 2015 and beyond.
1: Okay, so even though we can't see the difference at a normal viewing range with a normal size screen below 60 inches, 4K just by the virtue of the hype value, oh, it's got more pixels, that's going to be sufficient?
12: Uh, absolutely. It was sufficient in the iPhone. Most people can't see that many pixels per inch either, yet that was one of the great features that Apple touted and that consumers have flocked to and that has expanded across the smartphone universe that to be successful, you need to have, especially in your you know, flagship devices, you've got to have the best screen you can get to put on there because that's what people expect. Even if they can't see it, They feel like they're getting the best picture that they can possibly uh, spend for.
1: I'll tell you, though, with the retina display iPhone, I could see the difference. It was subtle, but I could see the difference. Once you get beyond the so-called retina pixel and you have even smaller pixels, of course you can't see the difference. It becomes absurd. It's just something to advertise. All right. But with the TVs, one thing that we see here, for example, is that we had plasma TVs. I'm saying had in the past tense for most makers. And it offers unlimited viewing angle, beautiful color pictures. But the public went with LCD and LED backlighting and all that. What happened to plasma? Why didn't it go beyond a certain level and why is it basically disappearing?
12: Uh, I think the the number one reason is manufacturing scale. Um, The main Companies behind the uh, LCD supply chain were able to build scale and deliver their products at, a, at lower costs with better features, and Plasma couldn't keep up because didn't have enough manufacturing scale, it didn't have the same quality of marketing and, and brand support. You know, it may have been a better picture, but, you know, it wasn't the right, product for most manufacturers and, um, you know, it couldn't couldn't get to the right cost structure to be competitive.
1: Now, it's fair to say that the latest LCD displays tend to have pictures that are close to plasma, except the viewing angle is not as good. Then, of course, we have OLED, which is humongously expensive, kind of like what plasma was like you know, fifteen years ago, when they first, you know, when they first came to market, I'm not going to estimate which year, but you know, remember they were like ten, twenty thousand dollar TVs, and then the prices came down a lot. Is OLED going to scale up to that point that maybe two, three, four years from now I'll buy an OLED TV, super ultra thin, for a thousand dollars for a fifty-five inch?
12: I think that's some of the hope of some of the the OEMs in the marketplace. Um, it's not, you know, I. From what I understand, there's there's a lot of things coming down the pike. Um, our uh, display search colleagues at NPD spend a lot of time looking at that. And, you know, we're still waiting, as we have for the last few years, for OLED to be able to be manufactured cost-effectively in large screens so that there's product available at pricing and reliability that, we can go to market with, and we still haven't reached that point yet. So
1: you think it's going to be three, four, five years, or does LCD get so good it doesn't matter anymore?
12: Oh, I think, you know, they're, they're still working on it, so um, I think there's always hope, but it certainly seems like it's... Struggling right now to be successful. Um, they've been working on OLED for a long time, and we still haven't gotten to a point where it's really commercially viable on, um, in the television market.
1: Now, what about these curved TV sets from Samsung and other companies? They claim it's a more immersive picture, and what they're doing, of course, is looking at the kind of picture you get at IMAX where, you know, it's, what, 20 feet long or whatever. It fills an entire auditorium, that picture. But if you're looking at a 60- or 70-inch screen at home that's curved, if you're at the end of the living room sofa, it's not so pretty.
12: Yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge. While, you know, on the one hand, I think there's something to be said for creating, you know, a better in-home kind of theater experience. On the other hand, you know there are aspects of curve that make you think it's more of a 3D kind of gimmick, and that it doesn't measurably add to the consumer's um, value view of having a great picture. Um, You know, it's not something we have to worry about right now, you know, almost all the curved TVs are pretty expensive, Um, certainly for this holiday, I don't think um, the success or failure of curved TVs is really an issue, Um, you know, we're much more looking out into 2015 when we start to see, you know, much more widely available curved products at uh, smaller sizes and lower price points.
1: What about bendable TV screens? Sounds cool. I mean, it sounds almost absurd. What are you going to do? Roll it up, take it with you to the cabin, and then you have to still have the set, the box, a set-top box or something which contains all the electronics, and maybe you get two of them, you have one at the cabin, and you have one at home, and you roll up the TV, throw it in the car, and take it with you? Is that the intent? You know, I'm going to wait for Stephen's answer on the other side. He may not have one. He may think it sounds crazy and I think it sounds crazy, but there you go. We have Stephen Baker. He's from the NPD Group. And I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
17: How's your pH
5: today? Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy, because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision plasma pH drops for only 29.95 dollars 95 at alkavision.com. Spelled A L K A Vision.com. Or call 800 518 7615. 800 518 7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health
7: at alkavision.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl. That's news at technightowl. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl. slash radio. That's technightowl. dot com slash radio. Or
1: subscribe on iTunes. Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I hit him with a question. I always give him the wacky questions here. He knows that, but he still comes on. He's a good sport. Bendable TVs.
12: Well, It's, it's not wacky. It's not wacky. They're out there. They're working on them. There's no reason that you can't do it right now other than... It costs a lot of money, and they can't really manufacture them all that well, and they're not, you know, as reliable. But, you know, the technology's out there. There's a lot of people, can't say, way smarter than Eugene, but certainly way smarter than me, who are working on all these technologies. And what's going to happen in five years? You know, NPD, as a company, is pretty focused on what's going to happen tomorrow and what's happening today and what happened yesterday. Um, There's lots of people who can look way out in the future and tell you what's going to happen. Uh, I'm not one of them. In the tech business, I think that's always, uh, you know, a challenge. But I think the one constant is that we know in five years most of the products that we're seeing today Those products in five years are going to look very, very different. We just have to go back five years from now and think about what phones and computers and televisions look like to say, you know, wow, things are a lot different now.
1: Okay. So if a company came to you and said, tell you what, Stephen, here's a bendable 60-inch TV. It weighs five pounds. Would you take it? Do you care? Would you even want to bother with it?
12: Yeah, I think it sounds pretty neat, um, being able to move something that size around the house. Uh, would be pretty valuable. And uh, as you said, I think, you know, being able to move it to multiple homes and carrying it around with you, I think there's a lot of value to that. Sure. It still has
1: to dock with some kind of electronics module, though, to sure. do all the... So something like that, I guess they could sell you, like, two electronics modules with a TV. And you oh, get no. one for the home, one for the office, whatever. Or you can buy extra ones for, you know, $199. i am just making it all up
12: right there's lots of things i think that you would certainly don't have a good idea about what we'd be able to do right now but um i would just concentrate on the concept of that kind of a screen you know certainly there are people there are companies out there working on that right now it's not beyond the realm of possibility what it is beyond the realm of is you know, generic cost-effective availability to consumers. But what the market's going to look like in five or seven years, again, it's anybody's guess.
1: Okay, let's move to another TV aspect, the set-top box. We have the Roku, we have the Apple TV, which I think are two versions of the same coin. They're very similar in a lot of respects. Obviously, Roku has more independent content than Apple, but a lot of fundamentals are pretty much the same. So does Apple turn around that space? What would we expect from them?
12: Well, you know, Roku's done really, really well. You know, they've been able to keep up with the Apple TV. You know, they've been able to keep up as uh, Amazon introduced the Fire TV. They've been able to keep up as, you know, Chromecast has uh, entered the market. There's an awful lot of ways to get streamed content to your television. People are starting to understand the concepts more and more. You know, I think when you look out, those kind of devices make a lot of sense. Uh, Low cost, easily replaceable. I think all those products have a pretty, you know, solid future going forward. You know, we don't see any time. In the near future where all those kind of things are going to just be embedded on your television because, you know, going back to what we said earlier, if people don't replace their televisions, but every five or six or seven years, you know, embedding that kind of technology in there really kind of creates a lot of problems two or three years out when you just can't upgrade the television, but there's an awful lot of cool new streaming features that you might want to get. So uh, going forward, we do see you know a huge opportunity and a real place in the market for those streaming set-top boxes.
1: Well, we know Roku wants to place their technology into TVs, but I would think, just throwing this off the top of my head that the best way to work that out, if you're going to embed something like that in a TV, you ought to have a little cover you can pull out and pull out the module. So when the new version with the new processor comes out, you just get that one and plug it in.
12: Well, I mean, there's that concept. There's the idea of it mostly being software and being able to upgrade it just as software. You know, trying to open up a television and put something else in changes the design and the build of the television, right? Just like you have sealed smartphones because it makes it easier to make them thinner and lighter and giving you the opportunity to take the back off to change the battery, you know, giving you the opportunity to open up the television clearly would change the design mechanism of the TV. And, you know, even somebody like Samsung recognizes that. They have an upgrade module that you can buy that could upgrade the processor and some of the internals of the television by bolting big box onto the back of the TV. But, you know, I think going back to the idea of Roco embedding on televisions, they're a smart company. They're going to bet on all the different ways that people will be able to access their devices and their software. And they'd be silly not to be on televisions as much as they would want to be under the televisions.
1: Do you find people using these set-top boxes, the streamers, in ways to replace cable or satellite? Are many people doing that or is it just basically a companion and want to add another service, you get the box?
12: Uh, You know what? I think the answer to that is, as the answer is to many questions, yes. I think they're doing all those kind of things. Certainly, there's an awful lot over the top happening today where consumers are not using cable and not buying cable and using set-top boxes like Roku or Apple TV to replace a lot of the functionality that they might get from their cable company, supplementing it with other kinds of internet content or, you know, device content or movies or, or whatever they might think they need. Yeah, you know, we, we definitely see those products as being part of that disruptive influence around the whole cable market and the MSOs and over the top.
1: Is that another reason why some of the big players in cable TV are consolidating? So we have Comcast buying Time Warner Cable. With two companies with bad customer service joined together, do you get worse customer service? I don't know. I'm saying that parenthetically. And then we have AT and T, which you know has a small footprint. In the cable TV space, buying Direct TV, which has a humongous footprint, does this consolidation mean that they can work harder towards minimizing the cable cord cutters, or what?
12: Well, you know, in some respects, it's kind of you know hedging their bets, right, to make sure that they have as much coverage as they can get, so that as there is more uh, cord cutting, that that maybe there's more um, customers that they can access in other areas. Um, certainly, it gives them some, some additional scale around content to be able to drive down the cost of content, whether it's being delivered through a set-top box or I think if you look at the AT&T and DirecTV, you can see that you know, maybe driving down the cost of content isn't just about driving down that content cost and making it available through a satellite or through a set-top box, but also through your, your phone.
1: Let's move that into a further discussion with Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
9: You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
1: Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to A2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime hosting account and get this, neighbors,
11: This is big!
5: By popular demand, the Freeze-Dry Guy's giant factory-authorized sale has been extended... Now, through August, save 30 to 45% on number 10 cans of high-quality Mountain House freeze-dried foods from the Freeze-Dry Guy. Now is the time to stock up on all factory fresh stock of the finest, best-tasting, longest-proven shelf-life foods in the industry at giant savings of 30 to 45%. But hurry, supplies are limited, so this sale is only through the end of August. Call 866-404-3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freeze or call 866 404 4-3-6-6-3. That's freeze-dryguide.com. Hurry! The giant factory authorized mountain house sale with savings of 30 to 45% is extended through August. From the Freeze-Dry Guy, the finest freeze-dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long-term storage.
18: Moms of America, stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids.
6: I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again. I pledge to stop letting my daughter walk all over me. I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger.
8: I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again. Because I'm not. I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom.
18: I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free.
9: Call 1 800 256 7795. That's 1 800 256 7795. Call now. Call 1 800 256 7795. That's 1 800 256 7795.
11: What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
1: I'm the Tech Night Owl Live, Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. We're having some fun here speculating about TV, before that about smartphones. Let's look into the gaming console industry. Now, just to preface this, Apple introduced Magic, a technology to speed up games by funneling more of the computing chores through the graphics chips on the iPhone, starting with the A7 on the iPhone 5S. And we assume there'll be a more powerful A8 with the iPhone 6. We're just guessing. It's just a rumor what they'll have. But is this a way to push more of the gaming experience into the smartphones or maybe ultimately the set-top boxes like an Apple TV or a Roku and less to the dedicated gaming console?
12: You know, there's an awful lot of, of conflicting um, evidence, I think, about how you should view console gaming. You know, certainly Sony and Microsoft have kind of both in this generation gone back and forth about emphasizing gaming versus en- emphasizing the kind of generic entertainment capabilities of their uh, consoles. Um and I think what they both seem to have landed on is that uh, when people buy a dedicated, uh, when they buy a gaming console, the entertainment aspects and capabilities of them tend to be secondary. And what they're really looking for is a great gaming experience. You know, as Apple and others develop products that go onto the TV that offer a gaming experience you know, they probably ought to be mindful of that. And that, you know, is there, what is the value proposition to the consumers who are buying their device as an entertainment device first and a gaming device second? And, you know, are those really high quality, high value gaming customers? And, you know, how are they going to monetize those gaming customers? Because gaming typically in that, View is a secondary activity on that box, whereas, you know, like I said, I think Microsoft and Sony both kind of recognize that, you know, when someone buys that kind of a device for gaming, the the real value is in a great gaming experience. Um, You don't want to have a lousy entertainment experience, but you have to have a great gaming experience.
1: So they're assuming here if you're the dedicated gamer, you get the console if you're the casual gamer, you do it all on your smartphone or tablet.
12: Uh, you know, I think there's some truth to that. And I think the question would be, you know, what's the, again, what's the real value of having kind of casual gaming capabilities on a, on a set-top box like that?
1: We'll have to see where that works out and how that's going to take us. Let's move to computers. Now, I want to ask you something here, which is probably one of those questions I ask of you. You can't answer, or maybe just a general Picture of sampling information. So, for example, Mac sales were up 18% globally, according to Apple. In the US and Canada, the increase was double digits, but IDC and Gartner estimated sales had fallen. Does this mean sampling methods need to be revised? How do you check out sales in the US for personal computers?
12: Well, you know, I'm not going to talk about IDC and Gartner. Our methodology is pretty simple. you know we don't sample we don't guess uh, we go directly to the sellers of the products so we work with Walmart we work with Best Buy we work with Amazon we work with Apple they give us their retail sales and we add all those together and therefore every single week we know exactly how much sold so you know we're not kind of guessing um we don't try to guess about what's happening outside of the footprint of the companies that give us sales numbers but you know we have pretty complete coverage around the retail markets and around some of the corporate, retail, corporate channels. You know, so we, we have pretty good coverage, and we think when we look at the market, we've got a pretty uh, complete understanding and representative understanding about what's going on in the computer industry and a lot of others. Um, what our numbers showed us in second quarter was that uh, the price card and uh, other changes in the MacBook Air, Um, really, really drove that product to heights that it hadn't ever seen before. It had always been a niche product, despite some kind of, you know, discussions about what a great, you know, form factor and everything else. But it never really sold as well as the MacBook Pros, this price card and these feature upgrades that Apple put through, I think, in mid-April or so, have really started to accelerate the MacBook Air sales.
1: Now, you think just $100 did it? Is it because it puts it more in the sweet spot of the higher-end notebook prices?
12: Yep. I think uh, $899 really meant 799 Um, Apple's also been much, much more aggressive about allowing um, their partners to discount their products. And it's pretty easy to find almost any MacBook Air or MacBook Pro at 5%, 10% at least below the list price. So um, it's not just that... The price went down $100, but we're seeing them, you know, even lower than that every single week online and, and in some of their retail partner stores.
1: I also understand if you go into an Apple store and you say, okay, Amazon, Mac Mall, whoever, has this for 50 or or $100 less, they will match you. Is that true?
12: Um. You know, I'm not aware of their price matching uh, philosophy or policy, Um, wouldn't surprise me if they did, Um, but clearly a lot of retailers have that kind of policy, so um, it would seem like the Apple stores would likely, in certain cases, have that policy as well.
1: In the wake of the official decision to discontinue support of Windows XP, do we see an increase in PC sales? And I preface that by the fact that the IRS had to pay extra to Microsoft for support to the tune of millions of dollars because of the fact that a lot of their computers are not upgraded or will be upgraded to something beyond Windows XP.
12: Um. It's been a really interesting quarter was a fascinating kind of quarter in sales, both on the consumer side and through some of the uh, commercial channels that we track. Um, The end of XP support had an enormous impact on the market. But interestingly, what it really impacted was the sales of good old desktop towers. Um, Those products were up in March, April, May by 30, 40% over where they'd been the previous year, both for retail sales, we saw strong sales in the commercial channels, didn't impact consumer notebook sales, didn't impact the kind of growth in uh, -in all-in-one consumer desktops that we've seen. It was almost, it was all focused on the plain old windows desktop and those sales were up a lot. And, you know, we, I've talked to most of the manufacturers, a lot of the retailers, you know, we all have different ideas about maybe why that, why that happened. But uh, I think it caught almost everyone by surprise, but it was a significant kind of increase in the category uh, and it was clearly tied to the end of support for Windows XP.
1: So is therefore that a temporary phenomenon? Eventually, people will have replaced the PCs they want to replace. Well, you know, and in it?
12: consumer, in consumer, it has been certainly we're not seeing the same levels of growth that we'd seen earlier, but. Uh, the numbers are still better than where they were the beginning of 2014 or during 2013. Um, so it, it seems to have ratcheted up the segment a little bit. Um, in the commercial channel market, um, it continues to drive sales uh, to this day. Uh, we continue to see really strong uh, sales growth for Windows. Um, those, those kind of Windows products. So um, we think that's going to continue for a little while longer.
1: I'm going to ask Stephen in our next segment whether or not a lot of the people upgrading computers are basically going to Windows 7 rather than Windows 8. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. <laughs>
9: minds think alike the network for the independent minded the genesis communications network
1: g c n
11: Whoa! This is big!
1: By popular demand,
5: the Freeze-Dry Guy's giant factory-authorized sale has been extended. Now, through August, save 30 to 45% on number 10 cans of high-quality Mountain House freeze-dried foods from the Freeze-Dry Guy. Now is the time to stock up on all factory-fresh stock of the finest, best-tasting, longest-proven shelf-life foods in the industry at giant savings of 30 to 45%. But hurry, supplies are limited, so this sale is only through the end of August. Call 866-404-3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freeze dry or call 866-404-3663. That's freeze-dryguide.com. Hurry! The giant factory authorized mountain house sale with savings of 30 to 45% is extended through August. From the Freeze-Dry Guy, the finest freeze-dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for
10: long-term storage. you can't afford to wait so call 866-91-STEEL lock in your price now call 866-91-STEEL that's
9: 866-917-8335 It's the heart of summer across America. Thoughts turn to childhood and long days of fun. Everybody would love to feel like a kid again. And HB Extract can be a vital tool in your battle to stay vibrant and young as it supports healthy blood pressure and circulation while balancing cholesterol. GCN and longtime sponsor HB Extract want to help keep your heart healthy with the 30 bottles, 30 days summer giveaway. Enter to win by visiting GCNlive.com between now and August 29th. And click on the content test banner in the top left corner of the page. HB Extract has helped tens of thousands of people worldwide feel good again, and they've done it with HB Extract's exclusive formula of wild-crafted and organic herbs. Here's to you enjoying many more long, warm, and fun-filled summers, free of pain and sickness. Visit gcnlive.com and enter to win in the 30 bottle 30 days summer giveaway with HB Extract. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Sign up now at gcnlive.com.
11: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to The Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg.
1: Stephen Baker of the NPD Group is here for one more segment. A little bit later, we'll hear from Dan Berg, tech columnist with lots of interesting ideas. So, Stephen, the question I posed at the end of the last segment... Businesses especially upgrading hardware, are they going straight to Windows 7 or are they trying Windows 8 or just a small number?
12: Our visibility into that's a little bit limited because I can't really see what businesses do after they buy the piece of hardware. And typically, even in commercial channel sales, most of the shipments now are in with Windows 8 installed. Most companies have downgrade rights and you know, I think probably most of them are exercising that. You know, I think a couple of data points are, are relevant here. Something like 40% of consumer notebooks for Windows now are touch. You not know, maybe half of that or even less in commercial. You know, it's not a lot of value in having a touch notebook uh, if you're going to downgrade to Windows 7. So we've seen uh, kind of path So Windows 8 and commercial being, you know, much choppier than it has been in consumer.
1: All right. I guess this would be one of the final issues we'll talk about. Apple and IBM get together on marketing. So we're going to see the IBM salespeople offering these custom apps for iOS and selling iPads and iPhones. So is this a minor or a big win for Apple?
12: You know, I'm probably a contrarian here and I'm going to chalk it up as minor. You know, I think IBM as a kind of corporate selling machine, I think their day has passed. Their sales numbers have been falling. I think their influence in corporate America is clearly on the wane. So I think, you know, while this may have been great 10 years ago, I don't see it being uh, a huge win going forward.
1: So do we think here IBM did this deal because they want to save as much of their business as they can?
12: Uh, you know, I think there's a big, big part of that. Absolutely, um, you know, I think it's incremental opportunity for Apple. It's certainly, you know, sales and sales opportunities that they likely wouldn't have had. Uh, but you know, I just—it's—it's it's hard to see that IBM has the level of influence. That they had in the past, and that you know, if companies really wanted to bring iPads or iPhones into their organizations in a big way, I think most of them would have the capability and the skill sets uh, to do that today. Uh, with or without uh, the help of uh, uh, someone like IBM.
1: I guess we'll see how the sales are impacted in the next few quarters. Yeah, we will. Yeah, then we'll know. That brings us to the question, the fact that iPad sales are flat and falling. Is it part of the problem that, you know, with a smartphone, people upgrade every year or two? With a tablet, they'll hang on to it for a few years. So the replacement cycle is not as frequent. And that has to be kind of a downer on sales. What do you think?
12: Absolutely. That's a Big reason why we're seeing iPad sales in the U.S. Uh, have slowed so dramatically. You know, I think the secondary reason is that there's still a price challenge out there. You know, we're seeing an awful lot of $199, 249 and cheaper Android tablets out there. I think that brings up about a big challenge for the um, iPad Air. And especially for the mini, you know, I can tell you when Apple has run lots of sales in the last quarter, where retailers were dropping price on the iPad mini a couple of times down to $199, and that drove sales pretty strongly. And I think that's an indicator that certainly for the mini, uh, pricing is a challenge right now. And for the Air, I think, You know, I think that's much more about the install base challenges and the whole issue of, you know, if you're going to buy a big tablet, you know, what's the value of a big tablet versus a a notebook computer versus getting a smaller tablet or a bigger, bigger phone? The real squeeze tends to be in that kind of 10 inch or so uh, size range where it's, you know, too big to bring around with you and, you know, too small to be a real good productivity device. And I think you get a lot of challenges in that screen size.
1: Do we also see the squeezing at the low end with the iPad mini, especially if Apple produces this 5.5-inch phablet? And I don't know what (laughs) information you have on that. Okay, so we just see here like a a 5.5-inch iPhone 6. Assuming it exists, do you have any confirmation one way or the other? Assuming it exists, is that also going to squeeze the iPad mini
12: because people will say, look... Oh, absolutely. And in some ways, it's probably good for Apple. They make a lot more money selling iPhones than they do selling iPad minis. And, uh, you know, if they can kind of staunch some of the bleeding that they're seeing in uh, that smaller size iPad by bringing out a bigger uh, iPhone you know, I think that's going to be a net benefit to them, both from a sales perspective and from a margin and profitability perspective.
1: So what does Apple do with the iPad as it is? Obviously, with the iPad Air, they made it slimmer, lighter. That helps in portability. With the iPad Mini, do they find a way to make it cheaper?
12: Uh, You know, I think that the non-Retina Mini needs to be cheaper. To be uh more competitive absolutely um but I think you know your point earlier um is 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 very well taken that uh, uh it's very hard to see what the um upgrade cycle is on tablets uh you know at some level it's a piece of glass, right, and you can only make it so thin, and you know some of the marketing around tablets. Unlike for computers, for example, you know, you don't really talk a lot about the processor. Clearly, the amount of storage isn't part of the selling um, selling voice as well. So there's not a lot of things you can talk about. There's not a lot of reasons as to why the newer tablet is better than the older tablet. and. I think you know we're finding that for a product that maybe isn't as used as much as it was used a couple of years ago, the need to upgrade is probably a little bit less than we've seen either in phones at the low end or in productivity devices like uh, full kind of typical computers.
1: Now we have a 899 MacBook Air with the same storage as the high end iPad Air, and the price differential is not significant, does that also put that squeeze? Apple has its own product. Now, obviously, to Apple, it doesn't make a difference. If you don't buy the iPad Air and you buy the MacBook Air, cool. They just sold you something. But does that also putting a big squeeze on the bigger tablet?
12: Sure, certainly does. Absolutely. I think one of the reasons they did that is because um, it was probably a little easier for them to scale the MacBook Air down a little bit and make it more competitive um, with the iPad Air. And maybe there's some, you know, more margin in an iPad and MacBook Air versus an iPad Air. So, um you know, I would take a little bit issue, yeah, I think, uh, with the idea that it doesn't make any difference to them. um they wanna sell one or the other, but you know if there's more margin in the MacBook Air, then you know certainly they'd probably rather sell you the MacBook Air than the iPad air, but you know there's more choice now for a Mac customer um in that seven hundred and ninety nine dollar range for sure
1: and I see one possible incentive Apple's offering to make you buy more Apple gear is the continuity feature of OS 10 Yosemite coming this fall and iOS 8 because this way if you got one you got to have the other you have no choice do you
12: well that's all part of their you know long term strategy to uh you know keep you inside the ecosystem it's I think started with the iPod and moved to the iPhone and, uh, um, iPad. And, you know, now as they bring the Mac more fully into that, um, makes a lot of sense. It's proven to be a great strategy, uh, up to this point, And there's no reason to think that it won't be a good strategy going forward. Um, I'd also add that at the same time as they're bringing those products closer together, I think, With Yosemite and iOS 8, they're also, especially iOS 8, they're also opening up the products a little bit more so that they're more compatible with Windows or Android or other devices, recognizing that people aren't always going to have every single one that's going to be an Apple and that they do need to be a little bit more open in their um, operating systems and allow, you know, some other... Applications and devices to be a little bit more interactive with them.
1: Stephen Baker, where can we find more of your stuff?
12: Uh, www.npd.com.
1: Okay, Stephen Baker of the NPD Group, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live.
12: Always fun, Gene. Thank you very much.
9: listening to GCN. Proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is
12: GCN. Next to water and food, you need a safe, storable fuel supply for your preparedness needs. Spare fuel is the answer. Spare fuel can be used in any gas-powered vehicle or generator. Spare fuel is perfect for any unforeseen out-of-gas emergencies. Unlike gasoline, spare fuel is safe to store with your other supplies, and it can be stored for many years. Go to GetSpareFuel.com for special pricing. That's GetSpareFuel.com.
10: What good is a Big Berkey water filter?
14: We get that question a lot here at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com and in a word, the answer is protection protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at bigberkeywaterfilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Dan Berg joining us. He's a tech columnist and I guess a blogger, an entrepreneur, and anything I guess they'll pay him to do. I'm joking, my friend. Welcome back. Now, I should tell our listeners something that we're going to reveal here, and that is there is a Yosemite public beta, as many of our listeners know, that was released to up to 1 million Mac users back on the 24th of March. There have also been five developer releases, the most recent of which was this past Monday. So I should tell you, I've installed each and every one of those developer releases, and now, believe it or not, this episode is being recorded on a mac using developer preview 5 of yosemite i'm using audio hijack pro to capture it that's from rogue Amoeba software we're using skype to make a connection we use feltip sound studio and martin harris amadeus pro as audio apps to do the editing should i go on what have you heard this is great i'm so glad that
19: it's working you know um I've had access to the OS X betas for a few years now. And and I remember one year I installed one of the betas. It wasn't the first one. I waited a few releases and just half my apps weren't working. And I, I've just been terrified of installing it early ever since because I only have the, the one laptop. I only have my Air. I don't have any other Mac that I can kind of play around with. So when I asked recently, I, I put out the blast. I heard that a few apps still were kind of buggy. I heard Photoshop wasn't working a hundred percent yet. So I, I've just kind of held off because I use Photoshop a lot. But I'm I'm so excited to hear that all of these audio editing programs that you use are now fully functioning enough for you to be full force on Yosemite. It makes me really excited
1: for the final the the Golden Master and then finally the release. I'll give you my predictions about that in a moment. But there are a couple of things to notice. I ran Photoshop, but I was running an old version of Photoshop 5.5, which is one version prior to the one where they put everything in the cloud. Okay. And I got a warning as soon as I launched the app for the first time, I needed Java 6. Okay. Hmm. Now, when I went to Oracle's site, they offered me a beta of Java 8. I had to do a little searching to get Java 6 because Apple doesn't officially really make it available much anymore. Once I got that working, I was able to do some things in Photoshop 5.5, and it worked just fine. So I can't say to you that other versions of Photoshop work. I can't say to you that Illustrator or InDesign or any of these other Adobe apps work, but that's just an indication. I did a little bit of work in Word, and Apple's pages from the iWork suite, they also work. But I think what happens here when you get to beta operating system software. Every release is a new set of problems. They'll fix some things, new problems will arise. Apps that work one week, the next release, they do not work. The key is here is that people like me, we like to exist in the cutting edge. We like to sit there at the edge of the cliff and jump off and hope somebody's going to catch us. Well, speak for yourself. But the key here is that for me so far, it has worked out well. But I keep backups. See, I I got
19: iOS 8 and I was like, okay, well, I only have one phone, so I'm not going to install it on my iPhone, but I have the iPad mini. And I was like, okay, well, this is, I, I still use it every day, but it's not as vital to my life as my iPhone. So I was like, okay, I'm going to install the beta of iOS 8 and play around with it. So I installed it. This was beta one, I think. So it was really early on and a bunch of this stuff wasn't working right. And I was like, okay, the things that I want to do on my iPad, I can't do. So I'm going to downgrade and go back to iOS 7. And then when I did that, I could not restore anything from iCloud because the iCloud was iOS 8. And so I was like, do you need iOS 8 to restore? So I was like, okay, I guess I'll go back to iOS 8. So by then, It had been about beta three, I believe, and I got errors installing from iCloud. So I'm starting all over with my iPad, but that was one of the risks that you take. And I I was reading in the developer forums and I think somebody else mentioned something about it. But I I mean, for anything that's super important, I always wait till at least the golden master these days. I used to just immediately install it and uh, I definitely I, I take less risks these days. That's for
1: sure. Well, let me tell you how my work routine works. I have a 17 inch MacBook Pro, the 2010 version. Don't use it all that much these days, haven't traveled much lately. So I installed the public preview from the public beta. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I installed the public beta there and it seemed to work okay. I set up the developer previews on my iMac on an external drive in a separate partition. So this way, it's totally isolated from everything else. If that thing were to go to you-know-where tomorrow, I could just reboot the Mac in another operating system, wipe it clean and start again. I've done that already once because I had problems installing the original developer release of Yosemite. I still think there are other areas of flakiness. I won't get into them because they're all published online. And we all know this is a pre-release product. But let me tell you something here. Let me remind you, Dan, we might have talked about this before. Last year, before they announced the release policy of Mavericks, I predicted it would be free. All the people I talked to on the show said, no, it's going to be 19.99, like with Mountain Lion. Okay? I said it's going to be free because Apple is clearly moving into that direction. You know, they cut the price with Mountain Lion from $29 to $19.00 make it free, make it free. Apple didn't listen to me. They had a marketing plan and they made it free. Now, traditionally, OS 10 comes out after iOS, except this year, Dan, as you know, there are integration features, continuity, IO8, depending on Yosemite and vice versa. Therefore, Apple would probably want to try to release them at the same time. What do you think?
19: Yeah, I, I'm so excited for continuity, by the way, too. But back then, if I think we had this discussion where you predicted free, and I, I totally had no idea. I I got that one completely wrong because I, I still thought that it was going to be an update. And I know Apple doesn't make a lot of money when people update, but I know they make some, and I thought that it was valuable. But obviously, having all of their users on the latest version of OXX is way more valuable to them than any sort of money. that they. It's more valuable than $20 per user for them, which I think is awesome and I love it. But in terms of the release schedules for the two operating systems, in this particular instance, they do have a lot that are working together and I do think that they're going to have to be available together. Because another reason why I didn't take the risk and install Yosemite right now is because... I don't have iOS 8 on my phone, and so a bunch of the features that I'd really want to use, I I wouldn't do until I installed both of them, and I'm not ready to do the iPhone yet. But it'll be interesting to see if in the future they maintain that schedule. My prediction is no, they won't. They're going to keep iOS on the same yearly schedule and then maybe take a little bit longer on the next release of OS X.
1: I think it depends, of course, on how this works out this year. This year, they kind of have to do it They're not necessarily constrained to do it any other year. Of course, with iOS 8, Apple wants to release the new operating system at the same time that the new iPhone is released. They're simultaneous. They're always simultaneous. And therefore, that's what's going to happen. It has to happen. And now there are rumors, as you've heard, Dan, that Apple will hold an event on Tuesday, September 9th, my birthday, folks, to introduce the next iPhone. So what you a great think,
19: birthday present. Oh, if
1: somebody wants to send me one, yeah, it's a birthday present. Yeah, there present. you go. So you're offering here, right? Uh, Not officially.
19: I'm not going to go on record of that yet, but maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, the chances of that are on the low end of H-E, you know, the rest. But happy birthday anyway. Well, you <laughs> know, I can always dream, okay? I can dream I have a long lost relative out there. And when the iPhone 6 comes out, I don't need the big one. If they make the 5.5-inch version, I'd need bigger pockets. But a 4.7-inch version seems to make sense to me. And one of the questions I'm going to ask Dan Berg in our next segment about the next iPhone, what does he think it's going to offer? All these predictions of two sizes on tap. Is Apple forced by market forces to make larger iPhones? A lot more to come. We have tech Writer. Entrepreneur and many other things, Danberg. I'm Gene Steinberg. I have no idea what
3: I am. This is the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs>
20: Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116.
21: Have you ever noticed how many sick and miserable people there are? I'm serious. I'm talking about people of all ages who have conditions and diseases which affect their quality of life. Most of them seem to have one thing in common. Polypharmacy. That is dependence on multiple prescription drugs with side effects that actually make them sicker and sicker. Not healthy. The good news is that people are waking up to the fact that if you supply your body with all of the nutrients it requires you will feel better, be healthier, and have a better life. It's important to know that Beyond Tangy Tangerine is the The most amazing, great-tasting, comprehensive nutritional supplement. Besides supplying all the vitamins our bodies need, it also supplies the necessary minerals that are required for the vitamins to kick in. Look, folks, I'm hooked on it, and I think if you try it, you'll become hooked. This stuff really works. That's why I'm urging you to make it part of your daily health regimen. Visit InfoWarsTeam.com to secure your canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine today. Sign up for auto ship and save on shipping costs. That's Beyond Tangy Tangerine at InfoWarsTeam.com.
18: Moms of America, stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids.
6: I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again. I pledge to stop letting my daughter walk all over me. I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger.
8: I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again. Because I'm not. I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom.
18: I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free.
9: Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com.
1: I'm the Tech Night Owl Live. Dan Berg joins us. Okay, you heard the predictions. Next iPhone, what say you? Man, I, I'm I'm really excited for this because I think this is going to be the
19: first year when we truly see something different. Because, I mean, I, I never would have guessed it in previous years. And I think we've actually had this discussion where I explicitly said that I did not think that Apple was going to do a larger iPhone. But it seems, by all the news I've been reading, that I'm wrong. And what's even more surprising to me is I'm actually excited to be wrong because i'm excited to see a slightly larger phone now there's a few ways that i see apple doing this this past year they did the iphone 5s and then the iphone 5c and the 5c basically using all the same components as the iphone 5 but a refresh for marketing so that people could buy the lesser expensive one and not actually have quote unquote last year's technology even though it is but still sell it as new so it'll be interesting to me to see if larger means that'll be like the 5s so that'll have all the fancy features for the the early adopters and the cutting edge people and then the smaller phone will kind of be a, a new version of the iphone 5s or something or if they're going to be both top tier both big and then there's going to be a, a 6c or whatever there's there's a few ways that they can do it but Either way, I I think that they'd be smart to do the large phone like everybody says they're going to, and it'll be interesting. That's for sure.
1: Well, one of the things you keep hearing and when you talk to industry analysts, they kind of confirm this. And before we had you on, we had Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. And that is that Apple needs to have a larger screened iPhone. That's where the market is going. And Apple can't be left behind. They could cite all the logic. Well, the four inch is easier to operate with one hand. But when Tens of millions of people are buying larger smartphones. Apple needs to get into that space just carefully with really good products. And possibly because of the way it's going in Asia, make phablets. A phablet, you know, being the combination smartphone and very tiny tablet, they're very popular in Asia. So if you're buying a phone and you're a New Yorker, Dan Berg, do you buy the 4.7 inch version or do you wait for a bigger one?
19: I mean, it depends how big the bigger one is. like I, I've played with the Note and such, and that is way too big for me, not my personal one. I could use something that's a little bit bigger now. And if Apple releases something that's a little bit bigger, I believe that they're going to be able to size the device in such a way that the bigger screen won't mean significantly bigger phone and something I could still put in my pocket. I mean, I I really like the smaller size. So the iPhone 5S, which is what I have now, I, I think is fantastic. Um, but I, I I could use the bigger screen. And I mean, if it's Apple's newest toy, then I, I definitely
1: want to play with it. Well, they're talking about this being the biggest iPhone launch ever, but you say that every single year. So the question here, of course, is if Apple disappoints, Wall Street's going to freak. Because right now Apple is doing fairly well in Wall Street. And part of it is because Other companies are not doing well. And we see, for example, Samsung. Sales are flat. They're being crushed on both ends of the market by these small Asian manufacturers on the low end, by Apple on the high end. So what does Samsung do? Does Samsung get out from under this mess somehow, or are they going to be basically compressed by the opposition?
19: I want to say that it's really sad for Samsung, but I, I mean... I I can't really say that, I guess. Although I I guess it is kind of sad for the industry because they were the biggest top player against Apple for a very long time. And I think competition is good and and forces everybody to be better. But I I can't say that I'm really surprised by the slow fall of Samsung. I I mean, I think that Apple is going to continue making the quality stuff and and there's going to be other people out there that are going to continue making lesser priced and more kind of devices for everybody else. And Samsung will still be one of them, just not quite at the
1: level that they were up until the past little while. Now, we have the situation where this week it was announced that Samsung and Apple were dropping their legal actions outside of the U.S., but would continue to pursue the legal skirmishes, particularly in the Northern California federal court in the U.S., so is this an indication with Apple and Samsung of detente practicality to put all their eggs in that single basket? Or does this eventually mean they're going to settle, they're going to be like adults? What do you think, Dan?
19: I definitely think that it's a sign of easing tensions, and I think that it's good for everybody. I mean, all of these court cases and everything, I, I, it it's, it's based on an outdated system of the patent system. And I think that It's just everybody wanting to say, I'm right. You should do it wrong or you're doing something wrong and you're copying me. And so I'm going to bully back at you. And I I think it's a lot of politics. So, I mean, of course, I can't just drop the stuff in the United States. Yes. But I definitely think that this is an easing of tensions. And I think that it's going to uh, make things a little bit easier and
1: better for both companies going forward. Okay. Let's just look at this here. So, for example... We still have a situation with patent law where if a company doesn't defend the patent, they lose the right. So what do we do to change the patent laws so we don't end up with this kind of stuff? You know, I'm somebody that
19: wants to get rid of patents completely. I I think that they're completely useless uh, in in the form that they are now. And I think that the entire system needs to go, especially for technology products. Like when, when patents first came along, they were created not just to protect ideas but to help other people build on top of each other like if you create an actual like physical machine that is able to let's say like print paper better you patent that and in that patent you describe exactly how the thing works and each little bits and pieces that go together and then other people can look at that technology, see how it works, and then build upon it. And that's how we as a technology-based company advance and build better things. And and that entire system has just been so corrupt for so long that I think we need to take a good hard look at what would actually benefit technological advances and put our efforts there. And I think that the current patent system is definitely
1: not the answer to that. It's also perceived here that Some things get patents that don't deserve it. Yeah, I definitely think that that's the case. Because when you
19: have a big company like Apple or Samsung, what you have is a team of lawyers and inventors who basically think of any conceivable thing that anybody can do with technology and then search the patent system to see if it's already like patented. And then if it's not, they're going to do it. That's why you see so many stories and articles about some company patenting such and such. I mean, it's not even because they necessarily think they're going to use it. If they just thought of something new, they're like, oh well, I don't want anybody to have this. And so they're going to patent it. People buy up failing companies just to buy their patent portfolio. And it's just completely ridiculous to me. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And the stuff that you have with the patent trolls where they just buy it up and then sue anybody infringing on their patents even though they're not doing anything with them it's a broken system that i don't see any easy solution for except for the complete
1: dissolving of the entire thing throw it out do something better by scratch dan Berger's here more to come on the tech night out live
9: not just an alternative to the mainstream media We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are
1: GCN.
15: Question, could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terragonics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Life's getting better.
0: Hey folks, this is Larry Crisp for BabyBoomerBackupPlan.com. I'm sure you know... This economy sucks. We all realize that the American economy is tremendously unstable right now and will likely get much worse. There's monumental debt, government bailouts, stock and real estate bubbles that are primed to pop at any moment, which can flush away most or all of your retirement savings. This type of movement has enormous consequences. Virtually zero sectors of the economy are hiring and workforce participation is at record lows. Financial trouble is right here at our doorstep. But if you move right now and develop a backup plan immediately, this could be the most profitable time of your life. Proportionately, more millionaires were created during the Great Depression than at any time in our history. Get my free report at babyboomerbackupplan.com or call 888 507 8789 for my free report. 888 507 8789 and prepare to profit as history repeats itself.
5: Visit the Berkey guy at goberkey.com and be sure to click the red products on sale now button. You can always call toll free 877 886 3653. Again, that's 877 886 3653.
11: Goberkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
1: On the Tech Night Out Live, we have Dan Berg. He is a tech writer, entrepreneur, blogger, all sorts of stuff. I'll tell you later what he does because it really keeps things interesting the way he goes around with all these pursuits okay so this is of course the apple samsung legal case part of apple's thermonuclear war so steve jobs declared thermonuclear war because android was a stolen product and everyone takes steve jobs seriously but steve jobs famously exaggerated you know he would basically take things and they're all overblown So when he talked about thermonuclear war, sure, he was mad, but he's too smart a guy, was too smart a guy, to think that he would invest all of Apple's cash into suing Google or any other company using Android. I just think it was hype. Steve Jobs is definitely known to have a temper. I mean, even people that
19: dispute the biography that Walter Isaacson wrote will say that he had a bit of a temper. And- Uh, The stories of him flipping out at employees over little things are are plentiful, and so I mean, when when somebody does something that Steve Jobs perceives as a slight against him, I don't see why he wouldn't have the same reaction. Just in terms of the thermonuclear war against Samsung or Android, yeah, I, I definitely think that it was overblown because I mean, a lot of those employees that he blew up at were still at Apple after that incident and. I think that Apple is enough of a company to grow and evolve. And I think that having the larger iPhone is indicative that they're able to pay attention to the market and what's actually going on in real life and respond to it. And I think that what's going on in terms of Apple's relations to companies that supposedly stole from it or copied it are also that they take a look at the facts and they can change based on those.
1: It's also true through the years. Apple has been sued. Apple has sued other companies, famously Microsoft. So this was nothing except it had all the hype. And of course, Samsung being Samsung was very reluctant to settle. That was a big part of it. Let's look at the recent Mac upgrades that haven't been very big for various reasons. So we have the MacBook Air, tiny bit faster, somewhat cheaper, that's supposedly has made it sell a lot more copies. We have just this recent update to the MacBook Pro with Retina Display. Again, slightly faster processor and more value, more memory, and the most expensive model is less expensive. But Dan, stay with me on this here. The reason Apple is doing this is because Intel has a new chip family called Broadwell. It's late. So they're using faster chips from the existing Haswell family. Normally, each year, Intel has a new chip family. Apple simply takes the latest chips, upgrades the Macs. Sometimes they're more extensive upgrades, but that's part of the process. This year, Apple can't do that except in a very, very gradual way. Now, there have been stories lately because of this that maybe Apple has been looking to use ARM technology, like in their A7 chips the ones they design themselves and move Max to that platform. Is there anything there anyone can take seriously? Huh. See,
19: I mean, at this point, at least me in particular, I whether it's Intel or ARM, it doesn't make as much of a difference. And stick with me on this one, just because I feel like with technology, we're getting closer and closer to having. The device that suits its purpose. Like in terms of Apple's previous notebooks, before the Pro and the Air, every year they were thinner, they were smaller, they were lighter, they were an improvement in design. As the technology got better, they could get smaller and more convenient. I think we're pretty much at a point where there's not much more room left there. And I think that we're also at a point with processors where things are pretty fast. I mean, the only people that need significantly more power would be like professional video editors doing like TV and film stuff, which like the Mac Pro, like that core audience can always have things faster. But with the power that's out now and has well, I think almost all of the people that are users are, are pretty much happy with where things are at now. And, and so this, all this news and all this stuff for like these little tiny incremental changes are are a lot more hype than anything else. So it's possible, it's a marketing thing. So if if you could do something faster, then it's good. But it'll be interesting to me to see where the innovation comes with a new product or a new category. Just like I'm looking at Windows 8 and the fact that it was both tablet and desktop means that all of their notebooks now look different with all the weird hinges and all the weird everything else. Um, And I think that that's really going to be where the innovation is in the upcoming years.
1: All right. Obviously, if Apple were to go to a new processor family, we have the big question mark here is what happens with existing software? In the past, Apple has had emulators, virtualization, all sorts of things that allow you to, to use existing apps. And one of the big selling points of going to Intel was the fact that you could run Windows on a Mac with great performance. And you couldn't do that with the older processors. So if Apple were to go to ARM, they would have to be able to deliver compatibility with Intel applications without a noticeable loss of performance, even with Windows virtualization. So it's not going to be an easy thing to do. That's going to be a big question mark. Mm -hmm. And and I mean... It's interesting. I'm,
19: I know that there's a lot of users that use Windows on their Mac, but I don't personally know any of them. So it's hard for me to say. Uh, it's It seems weird to me to get a Mac and then use Windows on it. I guess if you need like, if you have Windows only applications, but I mean, I, I don't see it as being... If Apple did go to ARM and kind of dropped as much support for Windows software, I wouldn't see it being... That big of a deal because I think things are moving into the cloud anyway. And back then, like Microsoft Word, you'd need to get a Windows to actually have the best experience with that because the Mac version was terrible. But I think we're getting closer and closer to people not really needing that. So I I don't know if Apple is there yet, but I, I mean, in terms of compatibility, that's becoming
1: less and less of an issue. It's also true that Microsoft is moving more towards services than for devices. They're talking about, what, services and productivity or something like that. And, of course, all the things that Microsoft presents, they don't make any sense. So Satya Nadella, the new CEO of Microsoft, had this 3,000-character or word dictum about the company's new vision. And it doesn't mean anything. What? We're going to go after productivity. Duh. So, (laughs) okay, fine. Show me something new. They've been talking about productivity for 35 years. Okay, so we're going to be more productive. What is that going to mean? What's going to happen with Nokia? They spent all this money, over $7 billion, to acquire the Nokia handset division. What's going to happen? What's going to happen with Windows 8 because nobody likes it? Or a few people like it, three or four. So what is Microsoft going to do? But it's also true, interesting, Dan, that probably the best touch version of any Microsoft product is... Office for the iPad, which gets great reviews. So has Microsoft become more platform agnostic, therefore developing more of their key software for the cloud, for versions that work with other platforms, in which case Windows compatibility goes out the window?
19: Oh, man. Um, I Well, I definitely think that Windows is going to move in that direction and put a lot more emphasis on getting their software to work on any device. I definitely don't think that that has enough profit to keep Windows at the level of company that it currently is and that it has been for almost forever. So I I still see them being some version of what they are now and competing with Apple while still striving to and succeeding at building software that works great on Apple and all the other devices.
1: Not crippling the Mac version of Office. That would be a good start. We have Dan Berg, tech columnist, blogger, entrepreneur, podcaster, all sorts of things. I'm Gene Steinberg. Just a few things. Another segment of the Tech Night Out Live.
9: UnseenNow.com, proud sponsor of GCN. Unseen Now's unparalleled encryption tools. Keep your communications secure. GCN. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a
1: slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to A2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24/7 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE
8: when you check out. If you need to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, thank you, or simply I'm thinking of you, proflowers.com is the key. Proflowers has stunning bouquets like the best-selling 100 blooms for 19.99. Plus, Proflowers will include a glass vase for free. Sending someone a wonderful surprise of beautiful flowers sent fresh from the field is easy. Choose the bouquet you like, pick the delivery date, and each order is 100% guaranteed. Plus, all bouquets from Pro Flowers are guaranteed to last at least seven full days. Beautiful, fragrant flowers picked fresh and sent to your loved one for lasting enjoyment. To get this incredible savings and send someone 100 gorgeous blooms with a free vase for $19.99, Go to proflowers.com. Click the blue microphone in the top right corner and enter code plow. That's proflowers.com. Click the mic and enter code P-L-O-W.
22: Springtime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know spring is the time to stock up at herbalhealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for spring specials including our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, hoodia and metabolic complex and pro metabolic all on sale now. Also the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and warwood plus complex plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes all on sale for spring at herbalhealer.com As always we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to herbalhealer.com and click on spring specials to Save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy.
16: We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution.
11: You're listening to The Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: I'm The Tech Night Owl Live, one more segment here with Dan Burke. And we're talking about Apple and the future and the past. So I have the big question for you looking at possible new products from Apple. Numero uno is, of course, the iWatch or some kind of wearable. So, Danberg, would you buy one? Oh, that's a,
19: I, I think so. I want to say yes. I'm not at 100% because I obviously don't know what it is. But I do trust Apple enough to think that if they get into a new category like this, it is going to be a device that I am going to want. And when I say it's a device that I'm going to want, I think it's going to be different than any of the devices that I currently have. Uh, I remember when the, they first announced the iPad uh, and my very first reaction was, I don't see any use in my life for this device. I have my laptop for our, when I have big projects and I have my phone for when I have small projects on the go mobile, I, I just didn't see how an iPad fit into my life. And then I got one with my tax return because I was like, oh, I'll use it for two weeks and then return it. And that way I can prove it to myself that I don't want it. A- and I fell in love. And I've been an iPad user ever since. And I did find that there was a space where it fit into my life. And I think that smart watches that we've seen up until now have definitely been just copies of your smartphone and not doing something significantly different. I do have hope for Android Wear, which I think looks intriguing, but I do not trust Google and I don't trust Android enough for it to be a seamless experience. Whereas I think Apple will do all of those things that we love about what we know about Android Wear, plus more that we didn't even think about, and it's going to work off the bat. And if that's the case, I'm going to plop down my money immediately.
1: Do you have a price point where it makes sense? Can they make it too expensive? Ah, oh,
19: see that's a tough one too. I want to say the price point that I have in my head is like 199, but I think that might just be hope cuz my prediction is also that the iWatch or whatever it is is going to work without requiring your smartphone. I think that as, having a smartphone and having the Bluetooth low energy is going to unlock a bunch of features. But I also think that it's going to be a compelling device without having an iPhone. So it might be more because people forget the iPhone is actually like $600 and you only pay $200 because you're signing your life away for two years to a cellular company. I think with a smartphone, you're not going to have any of that extra help from the company trying to lock you into a two-year contract. So i, I I could also see this being big bucks. I mean, the smartwatches that are out now are already in that price point—the two hundred, the three hundred—and the I definitely think that Apple is going to go more expensive than that. So I'm hoping for one ninety-nine, but I'm not hopeful.
1: <laughs> well, you know, there was a survey done a few weeks back suggesting that if the iWatch came in at more than three ninety-nine or thereabouts, a lot of people would not buy one. But one ninety-nine would be a pretty good sweet spot.
19: Yeah, I mean, I think any prediction that says if Apple does this, people aren't gonna buy it is terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, those predictions just time after time prove wrong because Apple has regularly proven that people are willing to pay lots of money for premium devices. And that is what Apple has done and that's what they continue to do. So 199 would be a sweet spot, and that's what, like I said, that's what I'm hoping for, but
1: I definitely think that it would be uncharacteristic of Apple. Of course, if they have a regular cellular radio in the iWatch, you could probably get one from your wireless carrier with a subsidy. Yeah, but that assumes
19: that it's going to be in the same category as a phone and that people are going to want to make calls on their wristwatch. And as much as we saw it in like, sci-fi movies and TV shows, I don't think people are going to want to stand there and talk into their watch. So they might not even have cellular connection or, or the, ability, the ability to make phone calls. Because I mean, how do you dial the, the watch? It has way too small of a screen. And I think that as smartphones become less and less phones, we realize that these devices that we have with us all the time do so much else and provide so much value elsewhere. And it's going to be up to Apple to show where that value is. That's different from a phone. So, I mean, if it has a cellular connectivity, whatever in it, I guess you could get a subsidy just like you do with your smartphone, but I don't know. I I just, I don't see that happening.
1: Well, the key of course is here, what the price is going to be and what kind of resistance. The other issue here, which is not mentioned very often is the fact that all the other smartwatches out there they come in one type in different colors or slightly different designs, but it's not like a traditional watch, which is the men's version and the women's version. And if this watch is going to be a piece of jewelry, that has to be a given, doesn't it? A hundred percent. And
19: Apple's been hiring a bunch of high-end jewelry people recently, which makes me think that they're taking this issue very seriously. I don't know how exactly. They're going to solve it. Um, I mean, the reason that I don't wear a smartwatch right now is because they don't look like uh, a nice watch. They look like terrible transitional technology, like, like the Pebble, as cool as that is, it just looks terrible. It looks absolutely terrible, and I would never wear that. And I think that Apple wants to come in with a device that, Even if it's the first version, and by first version, I mean doesn't look amazing yet, that it looks good enough that people like me are going to be happy wearing it. And that's an interesting point that you raise about having a, a men's watch and a women's watch because women's watches are traditionally much smaller in size than men's. And being able to fit the same functionality on a smaller and smaller device, we know is. Not only harder, but also more expensive. So it'll be interesting because if Apple just releases the one style that is, quote unquote, a men's watch, then they're completely alienating half of their user base. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um,
1: we'll have to see. We'll have to see. That's for sure. I'm not going to get into gender-based issues. The point being here, that they have multiple designs. And maybe Apple would offer, if it's going to be jewelry, a very expensive version. You know, very limited production, very special version, kind of like the Rolex of smart watches. Wouldn't that make sense?
19: Yeah, I I would love that. I mean, my favorite watch brand, uh, I've never been able to afford one, but IWC, that's what I'm looking at. And if I could have An Apple watch that looks like an IWC and maybe it costs a lot maybe it's like a thousand or more and then there's a lesser expensive one I would definitely want to save up for that more expensive one but the biggest issue there is that people drop thousands of dollars on nice watches because they're going to buy that watch and then they're going to have it for the rest of their lives and a technological device like an iWatch especially an iWatch is going to have an update every single year and so people aren't going to want to drop that money um, yeah I mean this just came to me as I'm thinking about it and we're talking about it right now but I can't see them charging a premium for a device because I think anytime that people have done that they, they've regretted it just like they have like the diamond encrusted versions of like phones and then people buy it and then their phone's outdated in a year.
1: I can't see it. Well, maybe after several generations, when the technology stabilizes, then when they feel more confident that people will want to keep one for a number of years, they could have a more expensive version. We'll see. But I understand that about watches. I have a relative who has a Rolex watch. Of course, I can't afford a Rolex, but you know, you know, when I'm on, you know, two hundred stations, you can ask me again. Dan Berg, please tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you do.
19: Yeah, I just founded a startup called
1: Tripexpert,
19: which is tripexpert.com dot com. I have longer.com, which is my
1: website and podcast, and Twitter, Dan with two N's B-E-R-G. All right. You can find us on Twitter as well. We're known as Tech Night We're Tech Night on Twitter. We're also going to be found on Facebook. Just look for Gene Steinberg. If he's got the plaid shirt, more than likely he's me. Or check out our web portal at technightowl.com. That is technightowl.com. We also have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night called The PowerCast. This weekend featuring Don Berliner, who's been involved in chasing after UFOs for probably five years decades now. This guy's been around for a while. At Paracast.com, that's Paracast.com. Dan Berg, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thank you so much for having me.
0: The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.